0: Welcome to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring inspiring new devotionals and forums given each week on BYU campus. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. When I was a child, one of the books that my younger sister and I loved is called The Judge, an untrue tale by Harvey Zemick and illustrated by Margot Zemick. My sister discovered it one day because it was easy to find at the end of the picture book stacks in the Z's, and after that it came home with us from the library quite often. In fact, my sister can still quote it in full to this day. As the title suggests, this is a book about a judge. Sitting at the bench, the judge presides over the court as one-by-one prisoners are brought in. Each one has the same story—a large, scary beast is coming, and they keep repeating the same information. A horrible thing is coming this way, creeping closer day by day. Its eyes are scary, its tail is hairy, its paws has claws, it snaps its jaws, it growls, it groans, it chews up stones, it spreads its wings and does bad things. I tell you, Judge, we all better pray. Each time, the judge pompously dismisses their concern and promptly sends each one of them off to jail. Now, forgive me these spoilers and the raw content, but satisfied with a good day's work, the judge begins to leave when the exact beast the prisoners described breaks into the courtroom and promptly eats him whole, which then allows all the prisoners to go free. This book is exceptional, with detailed rich illustrations and a perfect rhyme scheme But as an adult, I've come to see a unique theme offered in this story, one that resonates with me as a librarian. Today, I contend that the judge is all about information literacy, and if the judge had been more literate, the ending would have been very different. Throughout the story, the judge gets a lot of information, but it is clear that he does not have the critical ability to evaluate and effectively use the knowledge that he has. He doesn't ask questions. He doesn't send the police out to investigate. And as the pictures in the book make very clear, if he had just looked out the window, he would have learned quite a lot. Our doomed judge had a lot of information coming at him, and his failure was that he did not validate that information to make informed choices. One of the characteristics of our digital world is that we're also bombarded with information. It comes at us constantly through a wide range of mediums. Learning from our judges' dire outcomes— We can focus on being better than Him as we navigate the massive flow of information that comes at us each day. Now, while our information literacy skills may not save us from a situation as dire as that encountered by our judge, I contend that critical information literacy skills can help us better navigate our world in ways that make us better human beings and better saints. One of my jobs as a librarian is to make sure that people know how to identify, use, create, and evaluate all kinds of information. This means that it's my job to help guide and support people as they develop information literacy. We teach classes and consult with students, faculty, and staff to help them navigate the information they use in all of their learning and teaching. The import and scope of all of the skills that encompass something that encompass information literacy is something that is too complex to address today. But if you want to know more, come in and see us at the Harold Bealey Library, and we'd be happy to help you develop the skills you need for your project or discipline. And if you're not part of our direct campus community, please seek out your own local librarian, and they will be happy to help you. So, because I can't cover everything today, I would like to address three general skills that, if cultivated, can help us all be a little more information literate. I use the word cultivate purposely since it recalls the context of agriculture or growing seeds and tending them carefully as they grow. Like a beautiful, bounteous garden, these skills are not things we get or acquire immediately. They can only be developed through diligent, careful practice and nurturing. Thus, they must be cultivated. In my life, I have learned that our cultivated development of a range of values and skills, including the three that I will address, are essential for us as we navigate the complexities of our mortality. But they are also significant for us as we look towards our eternal futures. I know that if we want to cultivate the abilities that we will need as gods and goddesses in our eternal life, we must begin that development here in mortality. For, as Eliza R. Snow noted in 1869, we have been instructed that each one of us is endowed with the germs of every faculty required to constitute a god or goddess— Little ones in their mother's arms have all the germs of all the capabilities which we exhibit, and what constitutes the difference between them and ourselves? Merely a lack of development in them, and this development requires cultivation, energy, and perseverance. So today, I would like to offer some thoughts on cultivating three faculties that will help us cultivate godliness in mortality— those of wisdom, curiosity, and patience. Throughout the scriptures, there are references to wisdom. I'm sure we all are familiar with several classic references, including James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and Doctrine and Covenants 88:118, teach one another words of wisdom, yea, seek ye out of the best books' words of wisdom, seek learning even by study and also by faith. Another less familiar, but one of my personal favorites, is Doctrine and Covenants 6-7, which says, Seek not for riches, but for wisdom, and behold, for the mysteries of of God shall be unfolded unto you, and then shall ye be made rich. Behold, he that hath eternal life is rich. So, it is clear that wisdom is important here and for the eternities, but What exactly is wisdom? It seems that most often we consider wisdom to be the intellectual aspect of how much knowledge we have. We might be wise if we are well-educated or have a lot of experience in a certain domain. But in my studies, I have found that wisdom goes well beyond the ability to store lots of information in your brain. If we look at the conception of wisdom according to ancient Greek Hellenistic philosophy, we see that the word wisdom carries with it a meaning that engages ideas of cleverness or skill. This understanding implies that wisdom is just not held, but that it is applied in action through our skill. Looking further into the Hebrew conception of wisdom, we also see a sense of action. For this tradition broadly defines wisdom as the ability to successfully plan and achieve the desired results of the plan. In this tradition, wisdom is also centered in the heart, which gives us the capacity to make moral decisions. We see this conception of wisdom in the heart expressed in Psalm 90.12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply wisdom, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Lastly, we can also see that wisdom is directly connected to our relationship with God. For as it states in the Guide to the Scriptures, wisdom is the ability or gift from God to judge correctly. A person gains wisdom through experience and study by following God's counsel. Without God's help, man does not have true wisdom. Wisdom, then, engages ideas of skills put into action that is centered in the heart and is given as a gift from God. Seeing wisdom in this way shows its inherent complexity, and this complexity is summed up for me in some instruction that was given in the Relief Society magazine in 1967. What, then, is wisdom? Is it knowledge? Yes, but more than knowledge— Is it experience? Yes, but more than experience. Is it insight? Yes, but more than insight. It is knowledge, experience, and insight combined, anchored in faith and enlightened by inspiration. At least this is wisdom at its highest. But most of us must be content with only a partial wisdom because we only have a fragmentary knowledge, a limited experience, an incomplete insight, and a developing faith. However, like faith, wisdom can grow as we enrich our learning, broaden our experience, and draw closer to God in righteous living. The skills of wisdom—including knowledge, experience, insight, and inspiration— all can help us to face the complexity of the world that we now live in. These skills are crucial, even more so because given the conditions of mortality, we only have a fragmentary knowledge that is continually growing. Cultivating wisdom allows us to enrich and broaden our understanding of so many topics from biology to religion— But one of the challenges of cultivating wisdom is that it is not easily done. It takes a lot of work and time. When I think of the time and effort it takes to build wisdom, I often think of strong women like Esther, who is a biblical example for us of cultivating wisdom through effort and time. I highly doubt that women like Esther or other personal favorites like Mother Teresa or even Ruth woke up one morning with the full understanding of how to save their people, how to bless the world, or protect her family. Each of these women spent years learning, growing, and cultivating a relationship with God. They worked to get their hearts in just the right place for each of them to accomplish their missions with wisdom. It is important, then, that we give ourselves a little grace, for knowing that we may not be wise now, nor may we be wise in all situations or at every moment. The point is to cultivate wisdom over time. So how do you do that in your life? Well, that question has a personal answer that will not be the same for everyone— But for me, one of the ways that I have learned some wisdom is to learn from the examples of others. Like many of you, I find that two of the most wisest people in my life were my parents. My father, Rex, and my mother, Sherry, both worked diligently to cultivate wisdom in many different ways, and their efforts show a range of paths we could each take. Both studied and learned through the paths of traditional higher education— Both were extensive readers. In fact, one of my favorite memories of my dad is watching him sitting on the couch at my grandparents' house reading the newspaper. Both developed talents in artistic endeavors. My mother was an accomplished musician who played the organ in church from age 11. And both drew close to God in righteous living. They made and kept sacred covenants, that bound them together even when they were separated in death for over 30 years. It is here that I see their greatest wisdom. Because their hearts were close to God, they were able to see and interpret the information they were given by the Holy Spirit and by their fellow human beings so they could interact with the world around them with true empathy. Everyone was welcome at our table. And no one was excluded as part of our family. Their hearts, full of wisdom, allowed them to embrace everyone as a child of God. Like my strong exemplars, I strive to be just as wise so that I can understand the information God sends me through the Spirit about my mission and purpose here on earth— And so then I can wisely interact with everyone, taking the information they give me to help support and love them as they engage in their own mortal journeys. One of the biggest compliments I have ever received was when a friend noted that I was one of the most curious people she knew. I am curious, and it's a quality that I value. Like wisdom, I first learned curiosity from my parents— They valued curiosity in our home. Showing an interest in calligraphy, a calligraphy shed would show up for use. Engaging with a love for opera, we studied deeply one composition and then dressed up and were taken out of school one day so we could attend that production. My dad was one of the most curious people I know. He explored everything from Hebrew rituals to oil painting— His office was filled to the brim with an ever-expanding range of books and papers. My My mother loved reading magazines, and history and documentary shows were her favorite to watch. This heritage of exploration was ingrained in me from birth, and I have always been grateful to have a sense of curiosity about the world. As a result of one of my recent projects in the library, I have come to love and admire another woman who had a great curiosity for the world—Alice Louise Reynolds. Alice Louise was a professor of English, and she was the first female faculty at Brigham Young Young Academy and the second woman in Utah to be named a full professor. She had three bachelor's degrees and did advanced study at Cornell, Berkeley, and Columbia— She made four extensive trips to Europe and wrote for the Relief Society magazine and Young Women's Journal about her trips. She was also extremely well-read and was one of the main drivers for developing the library that would become our Harold B. Lee Library today. All of this was mostly done before women even had the right to vote. One thing that is clear about Alice Louise is that her, in her life, she used her natural curiosity to explore, invest, and investigate, and observe the world around her. In fact, one thing I have learned from Alice Louise is that it is curiosity that leads us as humans into a lot of our choices that shape the direction of our lives. Alice loved books and history, and her choices led her to higher education, travel, and libraries. We too can follow in Alice's footsteps and let our natural curiosity shape our lives. We might be curious about the natural world and find that that leads us to a choice to major in something like biology. Or I might be curious about how the new superheroes in the latest Marvel movies might be integrated into a Phase 4 vision that leads me into a deep dive into Reddit. I often tell my children's literature students that one of the marks of a good book is one that makes us want to know more. When we read a great book and it makes us curious to find other books like it or connected to it, then we know the author has done something really good. The world is ours to explore, investigate, and observe. And a sense of curiosity leads us to that learning. For, as Elder Shiki Hama notes, the Lord teaches us individually according to our capacity to learn and how we learn. Our growth is dependent on our willingness, natural curiosity, level of faith, and understanding. Despite the negativity that the old adage teaches us that curiosity does things like kill cats, I think that natural curiosity is essential. Elder Robert D. Hales agrees when he tells us, Creative people must have a constant curiosity. They should be constantly observing and listening to new ideas. They should be willing to admit that someone else's solution might be better. And they should learn the lessons provided by previous experience, both their own and others. One of the downsides to our information age is that much of our information landscape is contentious and contradictory. In the news and on social media and in our own interpersonal interactions, we constantly encounter situations where individuals can't accept others' experiences or see the truths that they have to offer. While certainly not a complete solution, I do feel that natural curiosity could go a long way to building bridges of understanding and compassion— Curiosity urges us to ask questions, to seek out a range of resources and perspectives, to seek answers to those questions, and to critically evaluate our experiences as we synthesize all information into a new understanding. These skills allow us to open our thoughts and experiences to new ways of thinking. Curiosity can get us thinking. But for curiosity to work, then we need to apply our wisdom. It is the application of wisdom that can take our thinking and turn it into behaving in ways that are consistent with the expectations that we should have for ourselves as disciples of Christ. I love learning about people, past and present. That's my natural curiosity. But it is my wisdom, given as a gift from God, that allows me to judge correctly my own behavior and make sure that I treat and interact with those around me in completely inclusive and loving ways. For me, then, it is wisdom and curiosity together that make me a better person, a better saint, and hopefully someone fit to return to my heavenly parents and become a goddess one day. Now, it may seem like I've conquered all of this and that I've reached a level of perfection in my wisdom and curiosity, but let me assure you that this is not the case. I've still got a long way to go, and that's where my last point comes in—patience. I take to heart the counsel offered in Doctrine and Covenants 6713. Continue in patience until ye are perfect— When we discuss the virtue of patience, we often connect the power to face trials and tribulations. I can attest to the fact that patience is much needed under these conditions. In fact, I've seen that a lot lately, as I've recently faced down a lot of anxiety, depression, and grief that is not going away quickly, and I've needed a lot of patience to tackle the complexities that I've been facing But patience is not just for trials. It's also connected to our mortal development in broader ways. In the 1963 Visiting Teaching, or what you might better know as Ministering Message, in the Release Society magazine, Sister Christine Robinson outlined some qualities of patience, which include gentleness, calmness, self-control, and long-suffering. She notes Patience strengthens the spirit, sweetens the temper, stifles anger, extinguishes envy, subdues pride, bridles the tongue, restrains the hand. Patience is the soul of peace. Of all the virtues, it is nearest kin to heaven. Patience, then, has a lot to do with how we interact with one another. It allows us to work together without anger, envy, or pride— It allows us to be more like our Savior, who was our greatest exemplar of gentle, calm, peaceful, loving patience. But patience is more than social. It's also an important part of patience when it comes to learning and growing—what I will term intellectual patience. Sister Sharon Eubank describes the context for this kind of patience in a recent talk. For those seeking truth, it may seem at first to be the foolish claustrophobia of windows made of stone. But with patience and faithful questions, Jesus can transform our windows of stone to glass and light. Christ is light to see. As we apply our curiosity to all the questions we have, this kind of patience allows us to understand that not all answers are forthcoming or easily easily accessible. We must work diligently, but allow ourselves the time, space, and patience to seek answers. Hymn number 217, Come Let Us Anew, speaks of the patience of hope which, for me, perfectly describes this kind of intellectual patience. The Preach My Gospel manual tells us patience is related to hope and faith. You must wait on the Lord's promised blessings to be fulfilled. As you have an abiding trust that the Lord will fulfill His promises to you, it is manifest in confidence, optimism, enthusiasm, and patient perseverance. It is believing and expecting that something will occur. Cultivating wisdom and curiosity surely comes with a calm acceptance of the Lord's timing combined with optimistic and enthusiastic perseverance. I have had many experiences in my life that have allowed me to practice the patience of hope. Generally, I have lots of questions, both secular and religious, That's one of the reasons I became a librarian. A story is often told of me at a young age, telling a family friend that my dream job was to sit in the top of a really big building in a comfy chair behind a mahogany desk. Around me, there would be lots of books and people would come and ask me questions and I would answer them. So I found my dream job because I love questions. I love answering them, but I also love asking them. I'm always the one who wants to know more, and the number of questions that I have just keeps growing. Now, let me assure you that the majority of these questions, I'm still working to find suitable answers. But for me, the patience of hope allows me to continue in faith, despite the confusions inherent in our limited views and the challenges of a mortal existence. However, there is one area where I practice the patience of hope that I have been blessed to see an actual change as I waited in patience on the Lord's timing. This came in improving one of my own talents in music. I have always loved music, and I have sung and played various instruments— But I also have a learning disability, which impacts a lot of things, including reading, attention, and spatial awareness. I found early on that these challenges really impacted my ability to read four lines of music at once. While I played one line of music on my oboe during my studies in high school and for most of college, I was never really able to learn to play the piano. That was one of the greatest sadnesses in my life, but realizing that the lack of this particular ability was connected to my disability, I lived my life with the patience of hope that someday I would be able to have that skill. I really thought that this might be something that I'd have to wait for, even into the eternities. However, as an adult, I felt that lack of my piano skill acutely and decided that I would focus some of my time on working on it. I was pretty sure that I would never be a virtuoso, but I knew that I could at least try to magnify my talent in whatever way I was physically able. I figured that if I did not become angry or frustrated, then I could work through the trials and maybe gain even just a little proficiency. So I began to practice. The amazing thing was that I was better in a way that I never expected. That was because I had waited on the Lord's time, and He had guided me in the years previous to take up tap dancing. Little did I know that the hand-eye coordination developed in tap dancing would connect to my piano playing in very fundamental ways. The Lord had opened up a way for me to fulfill the blessings of my musical talent— Now, I'm still not a virtuoso, but I can play the piano and the organ in my home and in church. I am so grateful for the blessings that came into my life because of the patience of hope. I know that sometimes all it takes is a little patience to find exactly where our talents lie. At other times, it takes patience to let the Lord fulfill His promises to us— by allowing our life experiences to put us into the right place to develop the skills we need that will all work together for our good. I will say that patience has never been my strong suit, but I have learned that the patience of hope is essential if we are to develop, enlarge, and cultivate the faculties of godliness here in mortality. In the end, I guess the moral of this talk is that if you cultivate wisdom, curiosity and patience, you will have important skills that will help you not get eaten by horrible beasts. Well, maybe not that exactly, but I will say these virtues can help us to better navigate our world. They can help us to be stronger as individuals but they can also help us to see each other as children of God so we can foster belonging and love. They can help us to navigate our contentious society, and they can help us find more strength in learning and living the gospel. And ultimately, I know that they will help us to develop the capacity to be more like our Savior and to return, as the children's song says, home to that heaven where Father and Mother are waiting for me. So today, I challenge all of you to think about what powers you need to cultivate that will help you right now, into tomorrow, and forever. For as I have found in my own life, you will be all the better for the effort. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen been listening to the recent speeches podcast presented by byu speeches please check out our other podcasts including classic speeches taken from our vast audio library as well as other byu speeches compilations on love and marriage overcoming adversity by study and by faith come follow me the prophet joseph smith and jesus christ our savior and redeemer go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information